Well, let's go to um, let's go to prayer, and let's go before the Lord, and ask the Lord to to meet a lot of our requests. We have a lot of requests, but um, one of the the wonderful things that we have is we have a living Savior. We have a living Savior, and because He lives, it's all good. The Lord's going to take care of it. He's got this, you know, he's got it, you know. We go through some tough times. But let's go before the Lord, guys, and pray it together. Let's uh, seek the Lord. So join me as we go through uh, the list here. Uh, Father, we want to thank you. We want to praise you. We want to acknowledge your presence here. We want to let you know that we are grateful for you sending your son and that we are so grateful that, Lord, he died for us and rose again so we could have new life. So Lord, thank you very, very much. And we know that all things are in your hands and that there's nothing outside of your control. So we want to bring these requests before you because we know you are very concerned about every one of them and you care for each and every one. So we bring our pastor to you first off, Lord, top of our list. Thank you that he's feeling so much better and he's recovering well. So we thank you for that. Continue to mend him. Continue to touch his body as he rests, as he gets up to walk and become stronger in many different parts of his body there. Encourage his rehab and strengthen him. Father, we want to thank you for his wife, for his lovely wife, Lisa. Take good care of her as well. And we know that she's uh, uh, going through a lot of different things, uh, wearing a lot of different hats now. Uh, please strengthen her. Encourage it, strengthen her body, watch over her on her job, keep her safe, and just let every member of the family minister to uh, Pastor Chuck as he gets better and bless each and every one of their family members. Lord, we want to thank you for Barb's testimony. We want to thank you for Merla's testimony. We want to thank you um, for the testimony of the other lady that um, had the tumor shrink, Lord, and all the other uh, testimonies. You're doing some amazing things here. Uh, we got a testimony this week, Father, that you, you touched Fred's back, and it's all better. We want to thank you uh, for ministering to him. So, Lord, we thank you, and we bring Ellie before you. Uh, we bring Todd and we bring Kathy to you. You know Kathy's physical uh, pain that she has from time to time, that you would please minister to her and take that away. Lord, we are grateful to have Bob here. We're grateful to have Jason here who had the physical injury uh, ailments uh, a while back. That, Lord, look at them. They're here. Thank you for blessing us with our brothers to be here. Continue to strengthen their, their bodies and make them strong. Uh, we thank you for Josh Moyer and all that you're doing in his life to make his body better. Uh, we thank you for restoring his health and strength. Continue to do that, Lord. We thank you for the marriages and for all of our kids and the restorations that you're desiring of in, in some of these marriages. And Lord, there are marriages out there that are struggling. Please, enter these marriages. Show them that you are the fix for whatever's going on. And I just pray that in Jesus' name. Lord, we also want to pray for our leadership here in America, that you would please guide them and lead them correctly. We want to pray that they would make the decisions that honor you. We want to pray and lift up Israel and their decisions and their government and their people, that you would protect them and keep them safe. Lord, we want to thank you for um, Harold and, and Crystal. We ask for their relationship. Uh, we thank you for Merla. 
please continue to mend her body and give her strong and, and, and good days, Lord, and just mend her and make her better. Karen's son who's uh, going through uh, the wrong direction, please help him. Uh, we pray also for um, Charles and his cancer. Shirley, she needs healing. Um, um, Dina needs healing. Michelle and her migraines. Lord, here are your children, people that, Lord, we know you can touch them and make them better. So thank you for touching them and mending them. Uh, we pray for Glenn, Lord, that you would minister to him in the, with the pinched nerves. Uh, Lord, we lift up Tim uh, at Bible College. Keep him protected, focused, and keep him strong in your word and not to get off track. Keep him healthy and strong and just bless him as he grows uh, in your word there. We pray also for Ken Hampton. We pray for Pastor Jason in Puerto Rico that you would bless the Calvary Chapel there. Use them. May they be a light to so many there that have been hurt uh, and, and uh, troubled by the hurricane that came through. But let them know, use this church to let the people know that you love them so very, very much. Lord, there's a lot of people that have cancer. And we just pray right now you would lay your hand on that cancer and that you would just dry it up and that when they go back to the doctor, the doctor will say it's all gone. Please touch and mend these bodies that have cancer. Father, we pray um, for Kathy and we pray for Chris that are not feeling well this morning. Please minister to their body. Take these colds and take this discomfort and take these ailments out of their bodies, Lord, and make them strong. Thank you for giving them a good day of rest. Bless them, Lord. Uh, we pray for Madeline. Uh, we pray for Mike, um, for his knees. We just ask a strengthening on his body. We pray for Matt. We pray for Phil. Bless him in school. We pray for Diane that you would watch over her as well. Uh, we pray for Kay. Uh, we pray for Tom, uh, that you would just be with him. Uh, we pray for Dave's son and his brother uh, and the things that they're going through, Dave Fellner. Please minister to that family, Lord, as they need you. Lord, we pray for the unspoken requests. Every one of us has them. So, Lord, please, you know the seriousness. You know them. Please, we lay them before you. Please minister to our unspoken requests. Lord, we pray for Colleen for strength. We pray for Nick to see the truth. We pray for hope uh, in the different circumstances that she's going through. We pray for Harold Bike Club, Harold's Bike Club, that you administer to those men. And Lord, we pray for Bobby's health, that Lord, he would begin to feel the healing power and know it's you and turn his life to you, to commit to you 100%. Diane, uh, we asked a, a blessing for her. Lord, for the classes uh, and the teachings and the things going on in the Zoom ministry, uh, the online teachings, bless those, Lord. Continue to strengthen people all over this country as they tune in and learn your word. Bless that. Lord, we thank you for Cheryl going through her shoulder surgery. That it went well. Uh, she's home recovering. Uh, bless Fred as he ministers to her. Let her recovery be quick and let it be uh, perfect. And uh, we'd love to see her back so strong. Bless Cheryl. Watch over her. Uh, we pray for the Rob house to be sold with uh, a good price. So we lift that up to you. Uh, Lord Steve, uh, Scott and his marriage. We pray for that, Lord. Um, we thank you for Pastor Gene 
in Africa that you would minister to him in the ministry there. We thank you for Harry and Sandy going on a mission trip to Mexico. Bless them. We pray for our brother Josh uh, and his beautiful wife. Watch over them and the kids as they go through the many home repairs and things that they got to go through. Strengthen them. Encourage them. Strengthen this young family to continue to be strong in you and meet every single one of their needs. Thank you, Lord, for ministering to them. And Lord, we just pray for today that your anointing will be here to strengthen and encourage us as we look forward to seeing you do great things in this service. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Lord bless you guys. Shake someone's hand and say hello. All right. Oh, what a great day to be in the Lord. <laughs> it's good just to be in Christ. It's awesome. Happy Resurrection Day to everybody. This is awesome. This is awesome. Well, um, let's turn in our Bibles to Galatians because that's where we are. And we're in Galatians chapter 4 is where we're going to be there. So if you don't have a Bible, just look in the pew there and just grab one out and uh, turn to Galatians chapter 4. Now just to go over a little bit to, to um, where we were before um, in uh, chapter 3, because that's where we covered last time, uh, almost 2,000 years ago, that was a long time, 2,000 years ago, Paul defended the very gospel that so many were trying to change uh, and deny. So he was 
um, defending the gospel. Uh, we learned last time we met in Galatians, we learned that Paul was a good pastor. He was a good pastor. He was concerned about his flock. However, some of the people were fooled. They were bewitched into believing false teachings. Remember that? Well, we learned also last time we met in Galatians that no matter what we are going through, the safest place any of us Christians can ever be is in obedience to God. That's the safest place. So we learned that. Um, in the epistle, Paul directed their attention to Christ's crucifixion, reminding them that our Lord's crucifixion was not made up, it was not done in a secret place, it was not fabricated, and we learned how his crucifixion was biblically and historically documented. And guess what? So was his resurrection. And if you want to take a quick look with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and then we'll jump back into Galatians, and I want to read a few scriptures to you there, because our Lord's resurrection was biblically and historically documented. It was not fabricated, not done in a secret place. It was not made up. His resurrection actually happened. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we're going to look at verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, which I preach to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for us sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, and then by all the apostles, then last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. So, at the start of Christianity, you have 11 apostles and Paul, being the 12th, of course, coming along later on, um, suffered horribly and most were killed. And all of it for what? The truth about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And not one of them recanted and not one of them said they were lying. Because Jesus rose, these men did not fear death. They were able to endure unimaginable pain and suffering and torture. Because Jesus rose they were assured that Jesus' sacrifice, okay, for their sins was acceptable to God so that they could be forgiven of each and every one of their sins. Amazing. Because Jesus rose, these guys knew that one day they will leave this earth and arrive in an instant, in an instant, in heaven with Jesus. Remember, Jesus said this in John chapter 14. 
He said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. That's our hope. That's our hope, guys. This is our promise. This is a promise that we can hold on to no matter what suffering, no matter what pain, no matter what torture, which a lot of us, we don't go through all that type of a torture, do we? Right? But no matter what we go through, this is a promise we can hold on to. Jesus' resurrection proves that he lives. Very simple, right? It proves that he lives. And, and if he was raised and he lives, where does that leave us? <laughs> that leaves us alive and well with him and we won't have to fear death. Look at verse 42 of that same chapter. It says, so also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. Look at verse 43. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. Now that is an amazing understanding of what the resurrection is going to be for us. Listen to this, 44, verse 44. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, there is a spiritual body. Okay, so now there's two bodies, natural and spiritual. Look at verse 45. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. Got it. The last Adam, Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. I love it. Look at verse 46. However, however, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. And afterward, the spiritual. Now, that makes sense. Got to be born first, right? Now, listen, verse 47. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. Yep, so he, yep. And the second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also those who are made of dust. Right? We can identify with that. <laughs> and as is the heavenly man, Jesus, so also are those who are heavenly. Are you heavenly? Because guess what? What an amazing promise. It goes on. So also are those who are heavenly. Verse 49. Last verse there. And we're going to jump into Galatians. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust. Here I am. I got that image of the man of dust. We shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. And I cannot wait. Oh, especially when my back hurts. I'm telling you, I cannot wait. What a wonderful time that's going to be. Um, I tell you, I just love God's promises. I just love his promises. Father, now we're going to look into your word into Galatians chapter 4. Enlighten our hearts. Give us understanding. Help us to enjoy the feeding that you have for all of us. And Holy Spirit, have your way in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we were in Galatians last time. Let me read verse 26 through 29, okay, of, of chapter 3, just to get our minds back in gear in Galatians. 
And um, if Pastor Chuck is watching this morning, get up and do some walking. It's rehab time. We love you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he was doing good. I saw, I saw him this week, and um, I went by um, the house, and we spent a little time together. He looks so good. He looks good. He's getting stronger. So thank the Lord for, for all of your prayers for him. Keep praying him. Praying him through until he's back here behind the pulpit. Amen. And then we'll pray some more for him. All right, look at verse 26 through 29, chapter 3 of Galatians. We'll catch it up. For all, for you are all sons of God. Notice that. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, and I am, you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Verse 1, Galatians chapter 4. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. Very interesting. Now, um, now when you see that word slave, you got to remember, this was back in the first century, uh, before the first century, before the first century. Guess how many uh, people were slaves in the Roman Empire? Over nine, uh, about 90%, they say, of their population were slaves. Then as the first century came around, there were so many slaves, they just started cutting them loose and setting them free and setting them free. You know, so that's how it was then. But to be a slave back in, in the first century, um, it carried a lot of dignity to be a slave, believe it or not. They had a lot of high-profile jobs, doctors, lawyers, and so on. They were treated very well with lots of privileges. They can even get married and so on. So when we see this word here, slave, in verse 1, we don't want to equate that with how terribly we treated the slaves in the, America, in the Americans. Uh, over here. So we don't want to do that. Okay, so but when we see slave here, we don't want to equate that with this. So the slave and the heir are the same in verse 1, right? The slave and the heir, even though he's master of all. Look at verse 2. But is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Makes a lot of sense, right? Makes a whole lot of sense. Look at verse 3. Even so we... When we were children, we're in bondage under the elements of the world. So it's, what it's like here is, let's say you were five years old and you inherited a car, nice car, and a million dollars to go with it. You're not getting the keys to the car, and you're not getting any bit of that million dollars because you're only five years old. So there has to be a certain time of when you can get it. I know you would want it now, but you're not getting it now, David. Okay? So it says here, as we look at the verses 1 through 3, he's, look at verse 2 again, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. That all makes perfectly good sense. Right? Verse 4. Then he goes on, he says, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. It says in verse 4, the fullness of the time. 
the fullness. Think about the fullness of the time. God was clocking that time down through history until the fullness came. Sort of like a, a countdown on your, your, your clock. You set it for an alarm at 6 in the morning, and you go to sleep, hopefully at a nice time at night, and then all of a sudden it clocks down until 6 in the morning, and it goes up fullness of time. God was clocking that time down. Then it says the time, right? The time here. And what happened? It says in verse 4 there, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. He sent. It says God sent. So if God sent Jesus to come, where was Jesus before he came? He was in heaven. So if he was already in heaven, Jesus always was. And if Jesus always was, what does that make him? Jesus is God. Isn't that beautiful? And then he sent him. However, while Jesus was in heaven, do you know that no one said no to him? Did you know that when Jesus was in heaven, if he said go left to the angels, they went left. If he said go right, they went right. If he says jump, they jump. It doesn't matter. Whatever God wanted to do, whatever Jesus wanted to do, nobody said, nobody said no to God, right? It's the way it was in heaven. It's the way it is. However, when God sent him, guess where he knew he was coming? He was coming to what we call a Christ rejecting world. He's coming to a place where people will say no to him. He's coming to a place that people will spit on him. A matter of fact, he's coming to a place that the father is giving him a cup that is filled with pain and suffering that only he could drink. And guess what he did? He willingly came. He willingly came now you tell me how great is that love for us. We may not understand it all. I know I don't. But because of all of that, I can't understand why he would even come down here, let alone for me. But yet he did. He must care a whole lot about us. I'm telling you, he loves us so much. So it says that he sent him and he willingly came. And the father gave him a bitter cup to drink and he drank it. And then it goes on. Look what it says in verse 4 there, guys. It says... But he sent him forth, right? He sent forth his son, born of a woman. Notice, it doesn't say there, born of a man and a woman. What does this signify? What is Paul trying to tell the church there? He is signifying the miraculous birth by Mary, a young woman who had not been with a man to impregnate her, had never been with a man up until that point. For this pregnancy would be of the Holy Spirit. And the Virgin Mary would carry the Son of God. Now, just think about that for a minute. I mean, we have nurses today, even in our church, that work with babies. They know how the process works, those of you that got kids. Those of you that don't have kids, that's how it worked when you got here. There's a process of reproduction. It takes the male and it takes, you know, the woman and both 23 chromosomes each mixed together in one cell. And before you know it, here I am. But not, not Jesus. 
not how he was born. And that's what he was trying to tell the church here. Beautiful picture of how things happen, and he's telling the church. Look what it says, too, in verse 4. Very interesting. Not only was he sent forth, not only was he born of a woman, he was born under the law. Think about that. There is no other culture, no other nation, no other tribe in this world that Jesus could have been born in. I know we see pictures of him in all different nationalities, but guess what? He was a Jew. He was born under the law. He had to be a Jew. There's no other way. The promises were coming through the Jewish people, the Messiah. That's why it says... Born under the law. I love it. I love it. I love it. Okay? So Jesus had to be born. Now, look at verse 5. We finish verse 4, right? And we come to verse 5. He was born under the law at the end of verse 4. Look at verse 5. Why he came? To redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now, redeem. He came. To do that for us. What is that? It's this. Jesus bought us from slavery. He bought us on slavery. We were slaves to sin. Shackled. He bought us to slavery. But his buying us was to buy us for himself. That's why you were created anyway. You do know that, right? You're created for God, not yourself. But he bought us back with his blood for himself. It was a requirement of God the Father, a requirement that he had to die. It was a payment had to be paid to God the Father. It was a requirement that God the Father had put out. And he looks at us today and he says to us, my son paid your fine and set you free. There's nothing more you got to do. Isn't that amazing? He came to redeem. Beautiful picture. You know, there's a scripture in Isaiah that says, Yet it pleased the Lord. Listen to this. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make my soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant shall justify many. Listen to the end of this. For he shall bear their iniquities. He came to take it all. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 10. He did it all. Took our place. Took our price. And he came and redeemed us. For himself. And set us free. Beautiful. Beautiful. Verse 5 also says. <clears throat> look at verse 5. What he's talking to. Uh, explaining and teaching. and uh, The Galatians and us. To redeem those who are under the law, that, that he might receive the adoption as sons. We are adopted sons. And ladies, daughters, 
but we are adopted sons. Just think about that for a minute. Just let that simmer in there in your brain. If I am an adopted son of a very, very rich family that has a lot of nice cars and driveways and all that good stuff, and I come home from a baseball game, I come in through the front door. And I have all the privileges and everything in that house. I go to the refrigerator and I do what I need to do. And I have, a, you know, I got a life there. I'm, an, I'm a son. I'm adopted, but I'm a son, right? Hey, guess what? It says here, I didn't say it. Verse 5 says that we might be, he did all of this, that you and I might be, that might receive the adoption as sons. So if I am a son of God, I'm living as a son of God, adopted son of God, I'm a son of God. Guess what? I should be living like a son of God. And if I really believe that, it should do something to the way I live. Don't you think? If I know that I am a son of a holy God, I should be living a holy life. If I'm a son of a loving God, I should be a loving person. If I am a son of a peaceful God, God is peace, right? He has peace. I should have peace in my life. If I have, if it, I mean, just think about all of the blessings that God, who God is. I'm his son. I should be living that way not living as a punching bag for the enemy. It ain't going to work. Matter of fact, we're stronger than him anyway because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So number five tells us, uh, verse five tells us this. Let's look at verse six. Let's follow on. We're only going to go to verse 11, so we're going to end there at verse 11, but look at verse six here. And it says, and because... You are sons. Now, wait a minute. This is the third time, I think, today we've heard this. Back in, in the, when we started our reading, right? In, in, um, it says in verse 26 of, of chapter 3, you are all sons of God. Now we see in verse 5, it says, we're a, it says we might receive the adoption as sons. Look at verse 6. And because you are sons, guys, you are sons of God. Get that in our heads. The enemy wants you to think you're less so he could take advantage of you. Think of the privileges we have in God. How many here are going through tough times in their life? I'm first to raise my hand. But you know what it's like? I'll tell you what it's like. You know, David was ushered in to the throne room of Saul, sat there, played his guitar. Well, it wasn't a guitar. Josh is looking, it wasn't a guitar. And he's playing and worshiping the Lord, and all of a sudden, this evil spirit came on Saul. I don't know the distance they were between each other. He grabbed that javelin and threw it. As any soldier can just, I'm sure he's trained very well, threw that. And you know what? He threw it at David. Now, do you think that's a tough day on the job? Do you think you're going through a tough time right about now as you see this thing coming at you? Now, I don't know what the uh, distance of, of, of his miss was. It could have been five feet, ten feet, one foot, half an inch. Regardless, he missed. Are you following me? Whatever you're going through that the devil's throwing at you, I don't care if it's ten feet, five feet, half an inch. He's going to miss because I'm a son of God. You're a son and daughter of God. He's going to miss. 
So that's when you go through the tough times, you hang in there and do what God's called you to do. Pray, fellowship, give your testimony, and stay in God's word. It's amazing what God does for his kids. Okay, where were we? We're in verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Now, I want you to notice how Paul's um, view in this verse shows the trinity of God. Huh, notice this. He's giving so many good teachings here. Look at verse 6 again. Let's see if we can find it. And because you are sons, God, who is our Father, God the Father, has sent forth the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, of his Son, Jesus Christ. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Beautiful what we believe. I love it. I love it. So he sent the Spirit. Okay. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to notice something else. As in Genesis, think Bible students, as in Genesis, all three persons of the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, were active in creation. Right? Okay. They were. So it is for the new birth. So it is for the new birth. Okay? Says it right here. God has sent forth the spirit of his son. Where is the spirit of his son? Right now. Who is living inside of you? The Holy Spirit is in me. Me? Yes. I am. You are now the temple of the Holy. I don't look like it when I wake up in the morning. If you see what my hair looks like, well, my hair looks like this all the time, so I don't have to worry. But if you smell my breath in the morning and you see my hair in the morning and how my attitude was when the coffee wasn't cooked at the right time or it was too weak, you would say, no, no, Holy Spirit don't live in you. But I may not feel that, but that's what it says here. And God lives in me. Think about that. And, and if I really believe that, I mean, if I really believe that, it should produce a life that mimics, follows the example of the God, the Holy Spirit that lives in me. And he's holy, so I'm holy. He's good, so I'm good. He's loving, so I'm loving. He's patient. Mm, I'm patient. He has peace. I have peace. In the troubled times, I've never seen Jesus upset. Matter of fact, I've seen him sleeping in a boat in a storm. I mean, he's amazing. He has no fear. He has no anxiety. He has no trouble. He's not taken by surprise. This is the God that lives in me. Are you kidding me? No, it says it here. Don't take my word. It says it right there. He lives inside of me. So that means as a son, I can lean on those promises and blessings and character traits of God and begin to grow and learn. I'm not perfect. I know, David, you think I am. No, but I'm not. And I can grow in him and grow in him and grow in him. Yes, I can. Why? Because I'm a son. Wow. Amazing freedom. Don't worry. Whatever the devil throws at you, whether it's 10 feet, 5 feet, or a half an inch, he's going to miss. So don't sweat it. Just be like David. Get up and, oop, I'm out. <laughs> okay, here we are in verse 6. Now think about this. Think about this. What is the Holy Spirit 
God the Holy Spirit, what is he doing in our hearts? It says he's crying out to the Father. Very interesting. He's crying out to the Father. Now, that word crying, because I wanted to see how is he crying? I don't hear anything. I know it's all spiritual. What is the, 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 the way that he's doing this? And you look up that word. There is a, a picture they use to describe this word crying. It's like a crow. I don't know if you've seen any of those crows. And they get on your, your branch or your house, whatever, and they start squawking. You ever hear those crows? You just want to, would you please stop? You're just so loud. That's what that word is depicting. That is the picture, the word picture that they use to describe this word. So inside of you and me, the Holy Spirit, what is he doing? He is crying to the Father. How is he crying to the Father? Well, I think I got a word picture there, so it's not just okay. It is, he's crying to the Father. Therefore, if he's crying to the Father like that, where does that leave us? That leaves us that we should join him in prayer fervently as we petition the Lord as well. And just come before the Lord seriously and come before him and bring our request before God. Amazing. So that's what he's doing, right? Crying out to the Father. Now, look at what he says here. It says he's crying out, but what is he crying out? It says here what it is. Abba, Father. There's two words there. Abba, Father. The first word, Abba, is an Aramaic word. And what that Aramaic word is used for is for like a young child that doesn't know all of what dad is doing and going on and the ins and outs of everything that daddy's doing. But he just looks at him with a heart of love and trust and confidence and says, Abba. That's what that word means. I can't figure it all out. I'm a little kid. I don't know anything. I just look at my daddy and go, oh, daddy, daddy, I love it. It's compassion. It's love. It's, it's oh, that's it. That's it. That's what he's crying out. Abba. Then he uses the other word, father, which is the common word. Now, back in the first century when they had slaves, a slave was not to use the word to its master, Abba. No matter how much they loved their master. That was only set aside for that biological son or daughter. But now the common word father, what does that mean? What, 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 what is he saying here? Well, it's, it's the common word is I understand. I'm, I'm, I'm at the age to understand my dad. I can see what's going on and I, I relate to him. Hey, father, I know you. I know your love for me. But then why does the Holy Spirit through Paul commingle these two words here? Why does he use them here? I'll tell you why. Here, here, Abba and Father, in this one sentence, as the Holy Spirit's crying out to God, right, expresses here is the love of a trusting child and a child who has understanding and confidence in the Lord. And you and I may not understand everything God's doing in the situation, but we could turn to him and say, Father, Abba. And then there might be times when you're going to war and you know exactly what's going on and you know how to pray and you know where God is in this situation. And you say, Abba, Father. Amazing, beautiful, beautiful relationship. Beautiful, 
relationship. Look at verse 7. We finished verse 6. Looking at verse 7. He says, therefore, you are no longer, here we go again. Guys, I'm telling you, it's just repeated in our ears. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but what? A son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Amazing. Amazing. Now, If we are now heirs and we are sons and we're no longer a slave, we're crying out to God our Father, you are being as biblical in your relationship with God as you can ever be. If you get along with the Lord and you're doing these things and you wonder, why am I weeping before the Lord? Why am I petitioning God like this? Why am I... Don't worry. You're right where you need to be with God in your relationship as you talk to him. Then he goes on in verse 7 and he says, Therefore, and of course that therefore takes us all the way back to everything else we heard, the last few uh, verses and everything, right? That therefore, you are no longer a slave, right? You are a son. Remember, you are no longer a slave when you are tempted by the enemy. When you are tempted by the enemy to do anything, let's say to lie, you're tempted to lie. And you go to the tax office, and you sit at the tax office, and they say, if you have another couple of hundred dollars here, or put this on your deductions, boy, I can take you over the limit, you're going to get a break. Do you have any more deductions? I think I gave you everything I have. Well, maybe you ought to rethink. <laughs> no, just leave it the way it is. I'm going to trust. So when you're tempted to do anything, think about the temptations out there. To lie, to steal, to cheat. Pornography. Criminal activities. Backbiting, hatred, gossip. Jealousies. Think about all the temptations. You are a child of God. You're no longer a slave. So therefore, you do not have to be bound in those anymore. Don't believe it. Don't ever believe the enemy says, well, you might as well go down this road. You've always been going that way. You might as well do it again. No. I'm a son of God and a daughter of God. You are. I, no, I belong to God. I'm not going that road. No. Here's my tax form. This is what I gave. See you later. Call me when I need to sign my paperwork and go off and let God take care of your life. That's where the sons and daughters of God are and how they live. Verse 8, and um, I wrote a verse down for that. Keep it in your book, 2 Corinthians 5.17, right? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things, not some things, all things have become new. I just love his word. It's just awesome, guys. Verse 8, but then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. Now, you got to get this. When you did not know God, he says here in verse verse 8, serving false gods is what happens when you don't know God. (laughs) And it says you don't know God. 
So all of the false religions in the world that says they know God, you might have ran into a Buddhist, I don't know, Hindu, whoever else out there is serving some God and says, I know God. What does the Bible say? Nope. You don't know God. Hmm. Very interesting. So when they want to pray with you and they don't know God, they're not praying to God. You'll see a lot of people from other religions. Okay, let's pray together. How can you pray with me? You don't know God. You, you serve some idol somewhere, some false religion. You don't serve God. You don't know God. And that's what he's saying here. Now, when they say to you, when people that like this say to you that they have their God and you have your God. It's okay. You have your God. I have my God. You worship your God. I worship my God. Here it's saying, according to the Bible, you don't know God. Very plain and simple that he's telling them. Now, you got to remember, Paul was speaking to the Galatians about their accepting false teachings, right? False teachings that were saying you can have a relationship with God. And Paul was trying to fix that. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, But, now after... You have known God. So now they've got to know God, they've, right? But af now after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage, he says. Now, he says here, turn again to. In order for you to turn to something, in a spiritual thought, right? I'm turning to God. I'm turning to righteousness. I'm turning to uh, doing the right thing. In order for you to turn that way, you got to turn away from something else. See what I mean? So what he's saying here, right? If you or I follow some new teaching that we hear and it itches our ears and we follow it, we follow it and it doesn't line up with the word of God, we are turning away from the truth to something that's false. And that's what he's saying here. And he goes on and says that they are, <clears throat> excuse me, he says here uh, in, the, in verse 9 that they are weak and beggarly, right? Weak and beggarly. The things that they desired, they desired these things. What he was trying to say that they were weak was, the very things that you're turning to is weak. It is not going to strengthen your walk with God. You want to be strong with God? Yes, I want to be. I want to grow in God. You go this way, weak. And then he says they're beggarly. We've been learning the last few, I don't know, minutes we've been here with sons of God. Here he says, you follow these things, you're a beggar. They're beggarly. God didn't call us to be beggars. I've been young and I've been old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging for bread. So if anybody is God's seed begging for bread, it is not God's fault. God's word is true. So he's saying they're weak and beggarly. So he's, he's trying to help the church along and show them that. And that verse actually came from Psalms 37, 25. So... The way that they were now living, the way that the church there in Galatia was, 
now living, the church is there, it was bringing them in to bondage once again. Wow. Verse 10. You observe days and months and seasons and years. Huh, interesting. There are Christians today that say, I got to keep the Sabbath. I got to observe certain days. I have to observe certain feasts. I have to do all these things. It sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> Bringing them into bondage. A desire to bring themselves back under bondage. Last verse, verse 11 and it says, <clears throat> I am afraid for you. So this is his response to them, uh, to the churches there. I am afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. Why was Paul so afraid? What was he afraid would happen to them? Eh, it's no big deal, right? Nah, I can believe anything I want. Why was he afraid? Now, if we think that the way the Galatians were living was no big deal or trying to live, we're wrong. We are wrong. Paul was afraid that they would die and end up in a hot place called hell and be let out on the day of judgment to account for their own sins and into the lake of fire they go. Why? Because they never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ the way that he wanted them to. They never believed in Jesus the way they should have believed in him. Their faith and trust and hope is in something other than Jesus. And he's afraid for them. He's afraid of what some of them might be going through at this time. Jesus said to the Pharisees, he said to them, I am going away and you will seek me. Now the Pharisees are very religious. I am going away and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. That's what he told the people that you and I would think would get to heaven. They had a plan. They had a method to get there. And Jesus said, no, you're not. Because unless you believe that I am, you'll die in your sins. So, if you are not following Christ as he said, hell and eternal death awaits with suffering for eternity. That's what awaits that person. Now, we're going to end here. On that note, we'll pick it up again. Paul loved his flock. He needed to make sure that they knew the truth. He cared about them. And God reaches out today and he says the very same thing as he did then to that church. He reaches out to us and he offers us eternal life through Jesus Christ. And he says, hey, this is the way, walk ye in it. He loves us very, very much. So may our hearts be strong in God's word. Um, may we never be waved off, tricked, conned, or, or, or taught some false teaching that itches our ears, uh, which will lead us away from the truth. But may we always stay strong, knowing that God is on our side. And if God is for us, guys, and we're his sons and daughters, who could be against us? Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much for your word. We thank you very much for this opportunity to look into the Holy Scriptures, a couple of thousand years old, but has such 
applications for our life today. Lord, we're so grateful for your resurrection. So grateful that you rose. And because you rose, we are alive. We live. And Lord, we have such a promise of hope that this is not our last place to live. We're on our way home. So Lord, while we're on our way home, give us strength to follow your word and not be led astray. Give us strength to continue to put you first and to honor you and let our lives as your sons, as your daughters, our lives be lived to honor you and to show you how much we appreciate what you've done for us. So thank you, and we ask your blessings in Jesus' name.